we're good to go let's pray so father we lift up the word of the lord tonight lord we love your presence we love worship we love coming together like this we took communion earlier Lord, we thank you for all that but we also love the word of the lord and how important the word is and lord i pray tonight as we're going to be getting into the word together that by your holy spirit even now lord that you would help us all that are hearing this just that your holy spirit begin to move upon us and help us to get captivated to give you our best ear our full attention our focus to not get distracted with other things but mentally and emotionally be you know locked in <clears throat> to what the holy spirit is doing in us lord i pray that you would anoint our eyes and our ears to have eyes and ears of the spirit and be able to see be able to hear what the what the lord is speaking to us and lord that we're good soil and like the parable of the seed and the sower lord that you would speak through me your words of life and your word will go out as living seeds of truth that are sown into good fertile soil soil that's made ready by the holy spirit and lord water by the spirit of god and take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until jesus comes lord <clears throat> we pray that your word will go out and be as a sword that's going to penetrate and get where it needs to go a hammer that's going to break down every stronghold lord let there be a washing of the water of the word as you purify your bride let your word be a bright shining light of truth dispelling all the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy but bring in truth and revelation let the winds of your spirit carry the seed of your word everywhere it needs to go and your mighty angels watch over it and lord we pray the bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed so we take authority over the enemy right now and we bind anything that would try to hinder this word from going out and being what it needs to be accomplishing what it needs to do we take authority and we bind the demonic we bind the enemy to back off and go right now in jesus name yes. and lord we pray we stand on the promise that your word will not return void but will accomplish that which you sent it for to do and so lord we pray let it go forth in power under a mighty anointing and get where it needs to go and accomplish what it needs to do Lord, we thank you for it, and we thank you for hearing and answering all these prayers tonight as we agree together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm dealing with the holy place. Last week was part one, and um, if you didn't hear that, you need to go back and listen to it because I dealt with things I can't get into, but we kind of laid the groundwork for tonight and laid the groundwork for the next couple months. We went through the tabernacle. We went through the different furniture, uh, pieces of furniture that's in the tabernacle, etc. And also how God cleanses the priesthood. All right. So tonight I'm going to kind of pick up on from that point and go forward. And we're going to talk a lot about water immersion. But before we get to that, I want to just go over a few things. Um, God wants his glory in our lives and our ministries. He does. He wants his glory in our lives and our ministries. But the glory of the Lord is not going to be everywhere. The thing about the glory is the glory is God's manifest presence. And tonight, you know, obviously when we're worshiping, the glory is here. And uh, the glory is that thick presence of God I talked about last week. And I believe that God really does want that in his, among his people in churches. But... The Bible says that when Jesus comes, this is a lot of times that we quote this scripture, but the truth is, this is a prophecy about the millennial reign of Christ. It says the, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as waters the sea. 
But that's not actually going to reach its fulfillment until Jesus comes. You understand? But in these latter days that we're living, the Bible shows us that there's going to be gross darkness upon the people, like a thick darkness and a lot of deception. But the Bible says that the glory will arise and shine upon his people. And so God is wanting that for his people. But you have to understand that sadly, not everywhere is going to have the glory. But there will be pockets of the glory. And I want the glory in my life and my ministry. And I'm telling you that what you, have, what you experience here tonight in the glory, you can have it at home. But the glory will only come. Here's some things. Number one is, God's not going to place his glory somewhere unless that place is going to be sanctified. So if there's things that are going on that shouldn't be going on, the glory will not remain. But number two, I'm going to say a couple things. Are people really willing to cleanse their lives and their ministries for the glory to come? See, there's a price to pay. Are people really, truly willing to cleanse their life and to clean out things in, the, in their ministry, in their church that need to be cleaned out so that the glory can come? Are they willing to pay that price? The second question is, are people willing to pay the price of prayer, fasting, and discipline? I think sometimes people say, I'm so hungry for the Lord, but it's not really showing up outside of church, though. They're not really praying. They're not really fasting. They don't really show any type of discipline to go after God in their own personal life. So even though their mouth says, I'm hungry, their life says to God, I'm not hungry. And I remember one time that um, Leonard Ravenhill got up and he was asked to preach at this church. And I'm sure this was the last time they ever had him back. But he came up and he opens his Bible and his message was going to be about revival. And some of y'all have heard me share this. And, and so he said he wanted all the leaders in that church of any kind of stand-up. If you, if you taught, if you were a worship leader, whatever. And so he had them all stand and he was asking them, how long did you pray this week? And it was, you know, pathetic answers. You know, a couple minutes or whatever. And so he just shut his Bible and he said, you guys don't want revival. And he walked down the aisle and left the church. And so even though that's kind of an offensive way to get a point across, nonetheless, I promise you, they never forgot that sermon. And I think that he made his point pretty clear. So are people really hungry enough to pay the price? I was telling um, some people that my wife and I had lunch with a couple this last week, and they had been really touched in revival like we were, and especially the wife. And I was, me and her were talking about the revivals of the 90s. Um, and I was telling her just about some of my experiences of trying to get with other people to pray and um, how we've made efforts to open things up and do all the hard work. And all the people had to do was just show up and pray, you know. <laughs> And how nobody showed and all that. But she told me, she said, well, she said, I'm not surprised. She said, not too many people want to pay the price for revival. They want revival, but they don't want to pay the price for revival. And there was a, one of the elderly ladies that really discipled me back years ago, back in the late 90s. She, her and another lady really taught me how to pray. We spent a lot of time together. But they told, this one particular lady told me, she said, she said, Scott, listen, 
most of these Pentecostal churches, she said, they know how to have revival. She said, they're just not willing to pray and fast to see revival. And she told me that. And that's true. Anybody here would argue with that? No, we all know it's true. But the thing is, are you really hungry for God? Because once you get desperately hungry for more of Him, religion's not going to satisfy. Church as usual won't satisfy. Um, all these other things, the things of the world don't satisfy anymore. You're so desperately hungry for more of Him. The Bible says when you seek Him with all your heart, you'll find Him. And I just mean to tell you that once you get really hungry and you begin to seek God at home on your own, you'll find that the glory of the Lord will begin to come into your home. But you have to be hungry for more. If you're satisfied where you are, then where you are is all you'll ever have. But if you're desperately hungry for more of God, blessed are those that hunger and thirst. So if you want the glory in your home and you're really willing to make sure things are the way they need to be in your home, you clean out things that aren't right, etc. And you'll begin to take communion and bring your home under the blood. You'll begin to anoint, begin to speak blessings over your home, begin to make your home a place of worship and prayer. Make sure your home's in order, things like that. And you'll really begin to pray and say, Lord, let the heavens open, let your glory come in this home. If you'll do it and you'll keep doing it, be persistent you'll find that the presence of God will begin to come into that home. And I remember when, when Brother John Davis was with us, he told me, he said, you know, regarding revival, what he was experiencing here, he said he hasn't felt something like this in a very, very long time, but he told me, he said, I know that you've had to pay a price to have this. See, people that's been around for a while know there's a price. There's a price in being persecuted, there's a price in being betrayed. There's a price in, in being misunderstood. There's a price of prayer and fasting. But are you hungry? And that's what I felt God wanted me just to open up with, to be desperately hungry for more of Him. All right, so picking up where we left off last week, Hebrews 10:22, Let us draw near with a sincere heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience that has to do with the blood and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, the Bible makes it clear that we are priests unto God. So let me just read 1 Peter 2, 5. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are priest unto God and we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God but you and it goes on to say but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special uh, possession and that's Peter quoting a very popular Hebrew phrase um, segula, a treasure people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So, we are a priesthood. And I want to talk a little bit about the priesthood, talk a little bit more about the tabernacle tonight. But see, if I was to go most places and say, think of a priest, and start talking about a priest, 
nine out of ten people, they close their eyes, they would picture like maybe a Catholic priest or something, you see. Because they've never been taught about what the Bible says a priesthood is. And what Peter's talking about here is that we are now, all of us are a priesthood. But it's in the order of Melchizedek under Christ, our great high priest. And so we have to go back and see the pattern. What did God establish in the Old Testament that is now fulfilled in Christ in the New? And so when you look back at some things, there's some sacrifices I could talk about here in a moment. But I want to start out by talking about the priestly garments. And it should be in your notes at the bottom of page 2. But you'll see that there were three layers. Now, I could spend a long time talking about each individual little thing, and it could be a whole sermon, but I really just want to focus on a couple things. The Bible talks about garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness. And you see this in Isaiah. You see it here in the priesthood, and you see that Peter's calling us all priests unto God. But you also see in the book of Revelation that they were given white robes to wear. So I'm trying to show you that it's a common thread throughout all of Scripture that there's these garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness, which is what that first layer is. When you look to your left, you'll see the first layer is a layer of white. The garments of salvation, Jesus came down to the earth, had to be raised up on the cross, and underneath you don't see them but it's like white pajama bottoms that were called the breeches that have to be dropped down to the earth and then pulled up and God told them if you don't have on these undergarments like that to cover the shameful nakedness when you go up onto my altar you'll die so it was important this is a reference to the garments of salvation that our shameful nakedness has been now covered by God's righteousness in Christ and the robe of righteousness that God has cleansed us by the blood of the lamb washed away all the filthy pollution and that turban on the mind that now our minds can be renewed in Christ we're covered in God's righteousness in Christ we are a new creation born of God and we are a part of a priesthood so the white layer has to do with righteousness and salvation that your sins are forgiven a lot of people don't know this, but this was actually the only garments that the priest wore on the Day of Atonement when he went into the Holy of Holies. He only wore the white. And it was very interesting that when Jesus raised from the dead and appeared to Mary and he said, don't touch me yet because I haven't ascended. You know, she thought he was a gardener, but they wore those white garments like that. So Jesus was going to ascend, which I talked about last week, into the holy place uh, to cleanse it. All right, but that is the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. The second layer is the layer of blue. I wish they had it separate here, but just picture it just being the blue. It's called the blue tunic, and it went over the white, and it would go down beneath the knees, and around the bottom of the blue tunic was pomegranates, and bells the pomegranate represents fruit of the spirit and the bells represent the gifts of the spirit but they were all around the bottom of that blue layer 
And the blue layer also had a reinforced neck area right here that would have either been extremely thick because they added a lot more material there or maybe enmeshed in it was some kind of metal or something but they reinforced it very thick because in this culture um, if somebody was to have something traumatic happen a lot of times without even really thinking about it they would grab the neck of their garment and they would rend their garment and they would be so upset and that was a part of the culture but God told through Moses that they had to make sure these garments that the blue one had a reinforced neck area that it could not be ripped and the reason for that was because that blue garment represents the baptism in the Holy Spirit and you have to be very careful with the Holy Spirit that you do not resist him or grieve him it's like the rending of that garment you got to be careful not to get in the flesh and do things that would grieve the Holy Spirit so the blue layer is a clothing of power from on high Jesus said in Acts 1 8 he said when the Holy Spirit comes upon you see the white layer when you accept Christ as your Savior you're born again the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you is now you're a living temple or a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit he indwells your inner spirit man and it's a new birth but this this blue layer is altogether a different experience now you're dealing with being clothed with power from on high and that's Luke 24 49 Jesus said I will go but I will send the spirit and he said the promise of my father will come and you will be clothed with power from on high so it's a clothing of power and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power then you can be God's witness like never before and it's, it's a reference also to the fruit of the Spirit being more evident and the gifts of the Spirit now being in operation how many can say since you were baptized in the Holy Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit has become even more evident in your life and now there's a power and you have a prayer language and the gifts of the Spirit are now beginning to be in operation so that's the blue layer I'm talking about the priestly garments because we're priests unto God tonight the third layer now is a layer of gold you'll see that on you can't really see it good here but on the turban on his head there was a gold plate that was placed on the turban that says holy unto God there were gold pieces on the shoulder that had chains coming down that had a gold breastplate over his chest that had the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes and then that was connected to what's called the golden ephod the golden ephod has to do with the glory of God and so what's awesome is this in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were walking around before they sinned they were naked and they knew no shame okay and the word there for naked is the word arom you can look this up in the Hebrew it is a different word it's a-r-o-m but after they ate the fruit and they sinned the Bible says that they were naked and the word there is arom e-r-o-m different word 
It's interesting because arom means partially nude, but arom, the second time after they sin, means completely nude. And so you have to wonder what exactly happened here, that they were naked before, but now all of a sudden they're ashamed and they're trying to cover themselves. Well, what happened is this. The Bible says that God created man in his image. And in Psalms, I think it's 102, I could be wrong, but it says God wraps himself with light as a garment. Even though Adam and Eve were naked physically, they had the glory of God on them. But when they sinned, the Bible says all have sinned to fall short of the glory. When they sinned, the glory lifted off of them. And they were longing for something to cover up again. They felt that glory lift off of them. And I believe that's one of the reasons, if not the main reason, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, Roman crucifixions were nude. And Jesus died nude because he was paying a price that what happened in the garden would be reversed. But now, because of Christ and what he did, the glory of God can come back to his people. The glory of God can cover us like priests again in God. The glory can come into our churches. So what you have here in the priestly garments is number one, that you're washed in the blood of the Lamb and that you have robe, a robe of righteousness, salvation. You're washed, the white. The second is the blue tunic that you're clothed with power. And the third is the golden ephod that the glory of God will arise and shine upon you and be on your life. And these are priestly garments. See, what the priesthood had under Aaron was very, it was very real and very symbolic, but now we have the reality, we have the fullness in Christ of what God always really intended things to end up being and the fullness thereof. That what they had in the natural, we have in the spiritual. And Christ is our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and we can be clothed now in righteousness, power, and glory in him. So when you're dealing with spiritual sacrifices, I talked last week about the tabernacle and how it's fulfilled in Christ. I can't go back over that again. take too long. We talked about that. And now I'm showing you that we're priests, but they were sacrifices to be offered up. And Peter said that we're priests to offer up those sacrifices that are pleasing unto God. So now from a New Testament perspective, what sacrifices do we offer up? Well, we know that the sin and the guilt offering Jesus paid for that at Calvary and we know now that those were fulfilled completely in him but interestingly enough there were three sacrifices that were very common at the tabernacle one of them was called the burnt offering and people would bring an animal for a burnt offering and the priest would kill the animal and they would skin the animal. The priest would keep the skin for himself. But the rest of the animal was burned completely on the altar. Completely. Nothing was eaten. It was burned. And this was called a burnt offering. And now in Christ, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, not to be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what does the Bible say? That we're to be living sacrifices, holy unto God. You know what that is? Number one sacrifice. So we're priests unto God to offer up spiritual sacrifices. The first sacrifice we're to offer up is the burnt offering. And that's where we're willing to lay down our lives on the altar. 
and say, Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to be a burnt offering unto you. Whatever needs to burn out of me, burn it out of me. That's why Paul was saying a living sacrifice. Because once we're crucified with Christ, now we're li he's living his life through us. Like the burnt offering died, but Paul is saying that you're a continual living burnt offering. A living sacrifice. Holy unto God. That you say, Lord, I lay my life down, burn out everything, purify me. The second offering was called the peace offering, the shelamim. And it was where people would come with their family and they would bring um, animals and they would bring bread with them and they would come before the priest. And the word offering implied in Hebrew to draw near to God. And so a family could come to the tabernacle and they could draw near to God's presence. And the priest would take what they have and he would kill the animals and they would be cooked on the altar and he would wave the bread and do all the things he was supposed to do and that family now in the presence of God there could eat of that sacrifice and it was called the peace offering or the fellowship offering that that family came near to God and ate together in God's presence the peace offering and the priest ate of it too with them so what that represents for us today is our prayer lives that is priest unto God we're saying Lord I want to know you I want to worship you every day I want to spend time in your presence I want to pray I want to be a true priest unto God I want fellowship with you when God created Adam and Eve the Bible says that he created them where they walked with him in the cool of the day God created man for fellowship and that's what sin separated, but in Christ it's restored. You see, God could only do it in part under the law. He could deposit his presence in the Holy of Holies, and people could draw near to that, but now in Christ, the presence of God is in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And God, through Christ, has restored back things to where now we can have fellowship. And that's being a priest to worship and pray and spend time with him in fellowship that we draw near to God God draws near to us so that's the peace offering and the third offering is called the grain offering the mincha and what that is is people would bring grain to the tabernacle they would bring oil with it it would be cooked and it would be burned on the altar They'd put oil on it. They'd put sprinkle frankincense. It'd be burned up before God as an offering. And what that grain offering speaks of is this, the works of our hands, that our service unto God, the things that we're doing for his kingdom. Jesus made it very clear in the scripture. It is his will that we bear much fruit. And this is where we're being salt and light to be salt is to be a prayer warrior because you change the flavor God looks down at your city and says that place is full of sin and it's like a stench coming up but then all of a sudden he's got some sprinkled salt throughout that city that's praying for the city and crying out unto God and it changes the flavor of that city unto God salt is prayer warriors light has to do with being a witness that we're going out and we're talking to people about the Lord, sharing our faith. This is being fruitful. This is our grain offering unto God. So we're priests. We should be clothed, obviously, in righteousness, but also we should be clothed in power and glory 
so that we can offer up spiritual sacrifices, a life that is a living sacrifice unto God, that we pray and spend time with him, our peace offering, but then we go out and we serve him and do things for his kingdom and bear fruit, the grain offering. All right. I believe that these times, like what we're doing as a church, we've got the fall, fall feast coming up. And before that time, we spend some time together in prayer and fasting. We examine ourselves during that time. We have a sheet. We're agreeing together about some specific things. But in this time of prayer and fasting, the five things, we're humbling ourselves. We're praying. We're fasting. We're giving an offering to the Lord. And we're consecrating our lives. As we all do that, what's happening is it's purging everything out that needs to go. Purging out everything in our lives, but purging anything out of the church. And Jesus said this in John 1, 51. Jesus told Nathaniel when he called him, he said, I, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus walked under an open heaven and he told Nathaniel, he said, you're going to actually see this with your eyes that the heavens are open over me and you're going to see angels ascending and descending to me. You know what the problem is a lot of times? We deal with satanic forces and territory, principalities and powers of wickedness in the heavenlies. And their goal is to brass the heavens over where that, that city, that region is under bondage. It's hard to pray. There's no freedom. There's a bondage to sin. And unfortunately, many places that come together and they worship together, churches and ministries, they've never really purified things. So there's all these different people throughout the week have struggled with different sins, etc., and so what happens is, is that things kind of get polluted there. And the enemy creates like a brass heaven where it's difficult to pray. It's an oppressed atmosphere. But what happens whenever we come together in prayer and fasting and repentance like we're doing? It helps to purge the atmosphere. But what's happening? The heavens are becoming more open over us. More open than we've ever experienced before the angels can ascend and descend through that open heaven and the glory of God is increasing in our midst. And that's part of what you're experiencing here the last couple of weeks as we've been doing this. You feel that it, it seems like the heavens are more open, it feels more heavenly, and the glory is increasing. So in other words, these times of prayer and fasting as a church, it is purging the gates overhead. And next week, we'll have a time of deeply consecrating our lives. And what, what's going to happen is you're going to experience more and more of a personal open heaven. And this church is going to experience more and more of an open heaven over it corporately. These are times of drawing to God. And just like as we get into the fall feast, the word is moedim. The moed means that it's a divine appointment. A time that God said he would meet with his people in a special way. And you'll find as we get ourselves ready that this month of September is going to be very powerful. All right. 
So let me just cover a few more things tonight. Baptisms. There's three baptisms I want to talk about that go along with what I've been teaching with the tabernacle and the priesthood. I talked about last week how God uses three things to purify the priesthood. You remember? The blood, the washing of a water immersion, and then the anointing with the oil. Those three things, God used that to consecrate the priest unto God. And we see in 1 John, it says these three testify, the blood, the water, the spirit. And it's a reference to that in the New Testament now in Christ. So we have the fullness in Christ. We have the blood of Jesus. See, they only had the blood of animals. The power of water immersion, but now in the new covenant in Christ. The power of the anointing with oil, but it's by the, the new covenant outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we have the reality, the fullness in Christ today. But I want to talk about three baptisms. Number one, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says that we all have been baptized into the body of Christ, into the body of Christ in the same spirit. So we've all been baptized into one body, Christ, in one spirit, by one spirit. What that reference there is, is a new birth. This has to do with salvation. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. I mean, it's the work of the Spirit of God. It really is. The Holy Spirit comes in you and gives a new birth. It's a supernatural thing. And so when you accept Christ as your Savior and you're born again, the Holy Spirit is baptizing you into the body of Christ. So you are translated from darkness into light. You move from Satan's domain now into the kingdom of God. That's the baptism, the first baptism. The second baptism I want to talk about, it's not necessarily in any specific order, but there's just three I want to cover. And that's the baptism into the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matt, or John, rather, John the Baptist said about Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. How many places are not talking about that anymore? Now, I'll tell you, that grieves me because we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, especially in these last days. If we've ever needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we need it today. We need it more than ever in churches and among God's people to be able to live a victorious, overcoming life. But yet, pulpits are strangely silent. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is where Jesus immerses you into the holy spirit there's a clothing of power and so the word for baptism in the greek implies this i want you to take two things away from this number one it is a complete immersion number two it implies like a sponge that's immersed under the water and absorbs the water into the sponge so it's totally saturated and that's exactly what happens when jesus baptizes you in the holy spirit you are filled and saturated with the Spirit of God, but you're also clothed with power from on high. It is an introduction now into the supernatural aspect of Christianity. Because now you're going to have a prayer language to be able to pray in tongues. Now you're going to begin to operate and function in the gifts of the Spirit. And it's part of your priestly garments. So here's what the concerning thing is. For the priest to go into the holy place 
where the table of showbread was, the menorah was, the altar of incense, the priest could not go in there unless he had all three of those garments, the white, the blue, and the gold. You know, there's a lot of places out there, guys, that are sitting around talking about their salvation experience. But they've never gone deeper in God than that. They've never moved into an intimacy. They've never moved into a deep place of God's presence. They've never really moved into divine revelation. And they don't even know what you're talking about when you try to explain it to them. See, once you're out there in that outer court of the tabernacle where it's just about the blood and the water, about getting saved or whatever, everything's lit by natural sunlight. All people see many times is just, just the natural. But whenever you have on all those priestly garments you're supposed to have, you can begin to move past that first veil into the holy place where the table of showbread was, the menorah's lit, and that's where you start experiencing divine revelation because in there, it's no longer natural sunlight, it's the light of the menorah. And that speaks of the light of the Holy Spirit, revelation knowledge. That's where the incense is burned. And when that priest is walking around, those bells are chiming. That has to do with praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit of God. So you see, you're going deeper in the Lord. And that's what is concerning to me because it doesn't seem to me personally, I, I still believe people are going to get into heaven just by the white garments, but they're going to have a hard time really bearing the fruit in life that God wants them to without the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And you'll find that the outer court area lit by natural sunlight, that man, there's, there's a lot of people can fit out there. But the holy place is much smaller. And there's more of a remnant that's going in there. And then, of course, the holy of holies is even smaller than that. And what you'll find is this. The outer court is like those white garments. People are saved. But the holy place is like that blue garment where you begin to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the holy of holies is like the gold garment. It's where the glory dwells. So you find the outer court's bigger, the holy place is smaller, and the holy of holies is even smaller. And what you'll find is, is there's fewer people that go that deep in God. Do you see what I'm saying? The deeper you go, the fewer people are going to understand, and the fewer that are going to go with you. And then I wanted to get to this, and we can kind of close this out, but the baptism in water. All right. There's much more to this. I may have to talk a little bit more about this next week too, but there's much more to water immersion than a lot of places understand today. I've often contended that the Bible says we have the mind of Christ, so it's like a collective we. And so no one group knows everything. And those that think they do are very prideful and, and don't. Um, but anyway, so what you'll find is, is that I grew up more in the spirit-filled circle. And in that realm of Pentecost and all that, it was pretty common to anoint somebody with oil and pray over them. That wasn't uncommon. But when you get outside of that group, you'll find that that never happens most places. 
But if you go over to more of a traditional church, we have maybe more um, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, something like that, a lot more uh, traditional church, as we would say. There is a real reverence of the communion table. And they understand the power of communion. They take it very serious, and they take it very frequently. But a lot of places outside of that group don't really have a deep understanding about the communion table. They'll read what Paul wrote in Corinthians about don't take it unworthy and examine yourself and then it repre represents Christ's body and blood and they'll just take it. But there's not really a deep, profound understanding of what it is. But at least they take it frequently and have much more of an understanding than a lot of the other places. And then you get more in the messianic congregations which you know people that that are jewish that have come to know jesus as the messiah and you'll find that they have a, a real understanding about water immersion because it's so common in that culture but outside of that you'll find that the body of christ by and large has a very shallow understanding of of water immersion water immersion for the most part in the body of christ is understood as this it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing that you do when you accept Christ as your Savior. It represents a death of the old and a coming into the new, and it's just a public profession of faith. That's it. And to be honest with you, many times it's downplayed as not being very important. And the reason why they do that, I think, is to overcompensate some of the people that think you have to be water baptized to go to heaven or something. So they're trying to overcompensate and downplay it. Well, water baptism is very important and very powerful. So the Bible says in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. And then Peter goes on to say, so that times of refreshing will come upon you. So I'm going to talk a little bit about water immersion for a moment. And I'm going to close out with this because I want to get you ready for next week. But water immersion is a very powerful thing. And again, the word baptize in the Greek is to immerse. It's not sprinkle, it's immerse. So 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from the rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. It was interesting because what Israel had in the natural, we have now the fullness in the spiritual. And you see the, the cloud represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The sea represents water baptism. The spiritual food represents communion, the communion table, but also, you know, that you, you're feeding on the word of God. God gives you divine revelation. He shows you things. And then the water, the Bible says, we all have the same spirit to drink. And that's the Holy Spirit moving in our life from Christ, the outpouring of the Spirit. So we have the same thing that Israel had, but we have it in the spiritual, in the reality of what God intended. All right, so the water baptism. They were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. They were baptized into Moses. So as Israel went through that Red Sea, I've said this many times, but I want you to really think about it tonight. When Israel went through the Red Sea, it was parted to the left and to the right. They went through it. It was a baptism, and the water shut behind them and separated them 
from their past. It separated them from Egypt. It destroyed the enemies that were chasing them. And it was a spiritual cleansing. God was getting them ready for Sinai. Is this all making sense? So as a Christian, water baptism is not just some dead ritual. There is power in it. The only reason why it's a dead ritual in a lot of places is because it's not understood. And that's all people expect it to be. But it's not. It's a very powerful thing that helps to separate you from your sinful past and destroys your pursuing enemies. It's, as a matter of fact, in the Bible, it talks about those that, that believe and are baptized will be saved. And that's the scripture people use to think you have to be baptized to go to heaven. And I don't believe that to be the case, but that's another sermon for another day. But it means, it's the word sozo, and it means protection. The word sozo in the Greek for salvation is everything Jesus paid for. Sozo means salvation, healing, deliverance, protection, preserve, prosper, make to do well. Everything that Jesus paid for is represented in that Greek word sozo. And what, what the word of God, I believe, is saying, those that believe and are baptized will be saved. I believe it's you will come into the fullness of everything Jesus paid for. You see, water immersion is a powerful thing. It destroys those enemies that are pursuing you. And it's interesting because as priest unto God, when the high priest was going to go and he was going to pass the priesthood to his son, one of the things he had to do, remember I talked about this last week, there had to be the blood of an animal shed, but he had to water immerse his son. It was called a mikveh. And then he put on him those priestly garments and he anointed him. So it's powerful because that immersion had to do with the transferring of the priesthood. What was happening during the Passover in Jesus' day? This is a little bit deep, but if you follow me. What John the Baptist was doing was not something that was radical. Every year people throughout the hebrew culture if they had sinned fallen into sin or something uh, they something in their life had defiled them they knew that they had to be immersed in water on their own and for example if they got around a dead body they had to go and be immersed in water and they'd have to go before the priest and all that so water immersion was very common in this culture even mary after she gave birth to jesus there was a time after that that she had to immerse in water be cleansed from the blood that she shed from her body so there was a water immersion was very common and every year before passover pentecost and tabernacles the men had to all descend onto jerusalem and all around the temple area there was these little pools called mikveh pools where they would go there before the the uh, feast days and they would self-immerse and they're consecrating themselves unto god for the coming feast day and what a lot of people need to understand what Jesus was doing at Passover, because I think it's missed, is remember that Jesus was about to make all of us be a priesthood here. And so Jesus at Passover, he instituted Holy Communion, which was a priestly meal. But the Bible says that he washed their hands and feet. This is very interesting, because what happened when a priest was going to pass the priestly office, he would immerse them, okay? 
Then also the priests, before they could go in and minister before the Lord, they had to go before the labor and wash their hands and feet. And Jesus knew that these men were about to have a Holy of Holies experience. They were about to go into the day of Pentecost where they were going to experience like a, a baptism in the Holy Ghost and with fire. And they had already, just like everybody else would have, they would have already gone to the temple and immersed in water. So they'd already had an immersion. Now Jesus was just washing their hands and feet as priests unto God. Is this making sense tonight? He was getting them ready. Just like when the children of Israel, they were baptized into the Red Sea, they were being cleansed and made ready for their Sinai experience where God was going to come down and they were going to meet with God in his presence. So a couple things that are going to happen at water immersion is number one, as I mentioned, you're separated from your past. Your pursuing enemies are destroyed. But there's a deep consecration unto God. Just like on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the priest had to immerse, had to wash his hands and feet. That's what Jesus was helping the disciples to do. They were getting cleansed. It's a deep consecration, a purifying of the bride to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. Here's some things about water immersion as well. Many people believe that when you're water immersed, it helps make people more open to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As you'll see a couple things. One is you see in 1 Corinthians 10, it says they were baptized in the cloud and the sea at the same time. It's a reference of the Holy Spirit and the water. Also, when Jesus was immersed by John, it came up. That was a passing of the high priesthood there. But the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And so many believe that there's a connection there. And I believe there is too. So in other words, what I've been saying this whole time is that water immersion is part of God deeply consecrating you, deeply purifying you for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in your life. Many people are healed and delivered at water immersion. We've seen a lot of that too. Some stubborn situations will break. It's a very powerful thing. See, many have been taught that water immersion is some kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. What you have to understand is that that comes from Roman Catholicism. When Roman Catholicism came to power and they began to do away with anything that had to do with the Hebrew roots on purpose, um, that's what it became something to convert to Catholicism. Well, that unfortunately carried over into what we know in Protestantism today, but that's not biblical. Water immersion had to do with not only accepting Christ as your Savior. I believe there is something about that, that initial baptism in water. But it is a continual cleansing in your life that's available. You know, just like this. I've talked about many times. I've said you can take communion at home. You know how many people out there think they, they can only take communion at church? And it has to be administered by uh, some kind of clergy? I've had many people ask. They're like, seriously, you can take it at home? They had no idea. It's like you are a priest under God. You have to do away with the Roman Catholicism that's bled over into the church and get rid of that and go back to actual the biblical pattern. You are a priest under God. And this is the communion's a priestly meal. It was the table of showbread. Hope I'm not losing anybody here tonight. And also the anointing with oil. Hey, how many people think you can only anoint yourself with oil, anoint at church or something? But listen. God wants us to be able as priests unto him to do this at home. You can anoint yourself. You can anoint your family. You can anoint your home. It's a priestly ministry. 
In the same way, water immersion, people think what well, has to be at church, has to be by a clergy. That's not biblical. You're a priest unto God. This is something you, that can be done at home if you feel it needs to be. And it's something you can even do in your own personal life. But it's something very powerful that helps to cleanse and separate things out of your life. And I'm just going to tell you from experience in my personal life, but also people that I've water immersed. We do this twice a year as a church. Most people are doing this with us, okay, that's repeatedly being water immersed. But I've seen people in my own personal life, I've experienced breakthroughs. But also I've seen people that have had stubborn situations break when we water immerse them there have been people that have been physically healed there have been people that have been healed uh, mentally and emotionally and there have been people that have been delivered from demonic things so this is a very powerful thing you got to understand what what was released you know through the old testament now fulfilled in christ there's a power in taking communion you got to understand it is a significant thing when you're taking the lord's supper you're bringing the blood of jesus by faith into your life that's going to break the power of the demonic when you anoint people with oil and pray over them it is setting them apart unto god that will break the power of satan and the same thing with water immersion it is a powerful thing that helps to separate them cleanse them and separate them from things that are not of god and so when we've done this together twice a year where we have a time where we really take the Lord's Supper together in kind of a special, unique way to consecrate our lives, my wife and I go through and anoint everybody. And then we water immerse those that want to be after that. I'm telling you, people have experienced so many breakthroughs. I've gotten so many testimonies, people saying, I feel so different. Because what's happening is you're being deeply consecrated as a priest unto God, which you are. And I think about 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, I believe. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through your spirit, soul, and body. Sanctify you. And that's what God is doing. He's using the communion table as a vehicle to bring the power of the blood in your life. He's using the anointing with oil as a vehicle to bring the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's using the water of immersion to cleanse and separate you from things and through those means he is sanctifying you as a bride as a priest and i also believe not only are people sanctified not only are people healed of things not only are people delivered of things not only are people experiencing they're getting some things broke off their lives so they can experience even a greater move of god in their life a greater personal revival than they've ever had not only all of that but i believe a couple more things one is is that it's helping to bring greater levels of protection i believe that people are getting more and more protected from the gross darkness that's coming in these last days and the last thing I would say is this. The Holy Spirit is getting a bride ready. We're not the only ones that are feeling drawn to these type of things. There's people out there that are feeling drawn back to the communion table and drawn back to things like water immersion, maybe being something more to it than what we knew before. But they're feeling it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is drawing us to this. Why? Because he's getting a bride ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's purifying us as priests unto God, as a bride. It was interesting scripture. 
Luke 7.29, the Bible says this, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, because they were being talked to about Jesus and all the, you know, Jesus' ministry, etc. When they heard this, the tax collectors now, they acknowledged God's justice. In other words, they believed God's way was right, having been baptized with the baptism of John. You know what the baptism John did when he immersed people? You know what was happening? It was preparing them to be able to receive Jesus' ministry. In the same way, God is using these things that we have together. We pray and fast together as a church, and then we consecrate our lives like we're doing. You know what's happening is God is getting us ready for great revival. And the last baptism that I'll mention is the baptism into Christ's suffering and rejection. When revival comes, you remember Jesus said in Mark 10, 37 through 40, the sons of Zebedee were asking him, said, hey, can we sit on your right and left hand? And he said, it's not for me to give you that. He said, can you drink from the same cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the same baptism I'm baptized? And they said, well, we can. But anyway, Jesus made a reference to that. What was he speaking of? His suffering. See, what God is doing is he's using the power of the blood, the power of the anointing with oil, the power of water immersion to get us ready as a bride, as a priest unto God for great revival. But when revival does come, you have to understand that there's a suffering that goes with that because of the persecution that comes. Is even the, the limited revival that we've had, many of you have experienced maybe people that don't understand what God's done in your life. Some of you have maybe already experienced some rejection in that area. But there's something about being baptized into Christ's suffering, his rejection. Jesus said, if you share in my suffering, you'll share in my glory. Or it says that in Romans. So you know what? We get baptized into this suffering, but it's also we share in Christ's glory. So as I deal with this tonight, I'm going to close out with that. But I just want to emphasize that water immersion, immersion is very powerful. It's very biblical. It's not something that the Bible ever says is some once-in-a-lifetime thing. So break that traditions of men right now. But it's something that will help to deeply consecrate you as a priest unto God. To cleanse you and to seal you off from some things that have maybe been harassing you. And help prepare you for a greater personal revival than ever before. And I believe as we're doing this, the whole prayer and fasting, the whole consecrating our lives, all that, as I open this sermon up, the heavens are getting more open. The glory is getting more thick. But it's because we are getting consecrated unto God more deeply too. So take away from this sermon tonight that you and I, we are priests unto God. To offer up spiritual sacrifices the priesthood there was there was the animal sacrifices that were offered up we have that now in the communion table it's fulfilled in christ the lamb of god does that make sense the priests were the ones that could immerse and and that's what john the baptist was doing and it was a time of repentance and immersion it's a priestly thing and also the anointing with oil the priests were the ones who were anointed with oil and set apart 
And then what, what could the priest do? Go into where God's presence, where the glory was. All right. So, Lord, we thank you for the word of God tonight. Lord, I pray that there'll be a deep consecration in your people in the days to come. Lord, I thank you as we take the Lord's Supper together. I believe that there's going to be a deep, profound applying of the blood. And that the God of peace himself, Lord, we ask you sanctify us through our spirit, somebody, that the power of the blood. Lord, as we anoint people with oil, just as Moses anointed the tabernacle in Exodus 40, and the glory of God saturated that tabernacle. Lord, my wife and I are going to anoint people as priests. We're anointing them, Lord, that the glory of God would saturate us. And finally, Lord, as we water immerse, Lord, that there'll be a deep consecration that your people be cleansed and sealed off. And Lord, let there be breakthroughs. Areas that have been stubborn. Lord, the power that maybe something had in their life that's not of God. That that will be broken. Lord, that there'll be healings. There'll be deliverances. There'll be major breakthroughs. And obviously, we're all made ready to go deeper in revival than ever before. Lord, we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me know when you shut down all the recordings and all that. It's interesting, in the midst of that sermon, I felt a little bit of resistance hit me around the, toward the end there. The devil hates these sermons, guys. I think that originally what God really began to teach me about the power of the blood, the oil, and the waters of immersion go back to God preparing me because... For me to minister to people like what my wife came out of, I was asking the Lord, you know, how do we really deeply consecrate people that have been through so much? And God began to teach me about this, to make them priest unto God. You know, apply the blood, the communion table, anoint with oil, the waters of immersion. And man, let me tell you from experience, it is a very, very powerful thing, okay? How many of you guys are ready to go deeper in God for real? You're wanting to go deeper in his presence, deeper in revival, deeper in a personal revival, that the glory of God increase in your life. Well, I'm going to tell you that what we're doing over these two weeks and that deep consecration has a lot to do with that. It really does. And I believe as we get through these two weeks and we have that deep consecration service next week, I believe that many of you are going to be able to tell me, I feel different. Something's happened. I feel more clean. I feel more free. I feel God's presence increased in my life. Something changed. And you're going to know it. 